Hello, and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight to come to you today again on this Thursday, August the 20th of 2020. And we are marching ahead as the days are, they almost seem like they're becoming shorter and time is passing by, but we are heading. And and the coming of the Lord is nearer than when we first begun. As always, we consider it a privilege and an honor that you could join us today and and be part of this uh, Bible study, be, be part of this podcast. As always, our desire is to be able to see the Word of God uh, in a rele- re- relevant way through a prophetic lens, Lord, as the Lord is speaking. And we have been uh, on a journey. We have been studying from the book of the prophet Jeremiah, and I believe there's still so much more that God has for us that we're going to be able to glean today. Have your Bible ready, have your heart open, and I know God will speak to you as he is speaking to us too. What a delight to be here with our uh, panel. to have uh, Today we have Brother Marty and Brother Fernando, and as always, a honor to be able to study the Word of God. So Brother Marty, I'll leave it to you now, and as you share what God has placed in your heart today as we study the Word of God together. Amen. We're continuing our study on uh, Jeremiah's prophecies, and uh, and we're going to uh, continue uh, looking at the two baskets of figs. That's uh, what we've been discussing. That Jeremiah uh, points out in Jeremiah chapter 24. Jeremiah chapter 24 deals with a post-captivity reality. In other words, Jeconiah and uh, a great, uh, a good portion, thousands of of the leaders and 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 the and the good people of Jerusalem and Judah were taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar all the way to Babylon. And when we pick up Jeremiah's prophecy in Chapter 24, King Zedekiah is in power, and a and a small remnant has been left behind to take care of the temple, to take care of Jerusalem, and <clears throat> and a smaller population throughout. <clears throat> excuse me, the cities of Judah, and it's in that interim period under this incredible uh, action, if you think about it, that 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 a king would come from almost 800 miles away and literally lead captive an entire population of tens of thousands of people uh, all the way back to his homeland, by and large emptying in, in one fell swoop a good portion of of the nation of Judah, of Israel, what was left of it. And it's into this complex military, political, and spiritual situation that Jeremiah has this this vision of the two figs, is, and, and that's what Jeremy's going to begin reading at today. And, and why it's important is because we are taking the, the parallels, the metaphors of this prophetic event in how God dealt with a nation that was under judgment, and really a whole world, as we'll see today, uh, and, and, and what it is that we can learn from it, and quite possibly what it is that the Lord is trying to say to us today in the things that we're going through. So, Brother Jeremy, would you once again please begin uh, at Jeremiah chapter 24? You're going to read verse 1 today to the people. And those of you that are listening, we encourage you, as always, to have your Bibles with with you and then follow us along. And uh, and we pray that you're blessed in this session today as we explore 
the two baskets of figs uh, seen by the prophet Jeremiah. And in Jesus' name, we, we pray that, that you'll be blessed and, and that we would hear from the, the Spirit of the Lord. Brother Jeremy, would you read to us? <clears throat> Amen. The Lord showed me, and behold, two baskets of figs were set before the temple of the Lord. After that, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away captive Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and the prince of Judah, with the carpenters and smiths from Jerusalem, and had brought them to Babylon. Amen. <clears throat> so the Lord showed me, and behold, two baskets of figs were set before the temple. And that's what Jeremiah starts out chapter 24 with. And as we've been discussing, uh, if you followed the last two podcasts especially, Prophet Jeremiah was unfolding a great revelation, really, uh, that he found in the two baskets of figs. And remember, as we've been discussing, the revelation came after the people were taken captive. So a whole host of people had been taken captive. And how he saw that represented was that there were two baskets of figs, and he identifies them as being set before the temple in verse 1 there. And and the reason that's important, it's it's very symbolic in a sense. Understand that that the the temple represented the presence of God. And as we went on and we've been discussing in the twenty fourth chapter, God begins to identify these two particular baskets of figs that were set before his temple as representing his people. He said in one basket was a uh, was was good figs. And then the other basket was was bad figs. And he would go on to explain, as we looked at in the last two uh, podcasts, that that the good figs actually represented the people that had been taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar. And like we said, there was only a few uh, people that were left behind, and and they were represented by the bad basket of figs. And in essence, by having them, uh, our attention drawn to them being set before the temple what God was actually saying to the prophet and subsequently to the nation was that it it is my presence because it was presented to God in the temple. It is my presence that has already begun to separate, to cause a separation to take place. That's what the Lord was revealing, that his presence had caused a separation to occur in, in, between his people group, a good church and a bad church, if you will, up under an intense uh, judgment of unfolding events that was coming against his own people. And we'll talk about that in a little bit more as we go on. But what I believe is being revealed in these events are the there are incredible prophetic metaphors and patterns and parallels that are emerging and have already emerged and will yet emerge in the events of our time. Because that's what we've been looking at. Can we learn and glean from history it appears that there's a pattern here, a connection uh, in how God dealt with ancient Judah and quite possibly how he's dealing with the United States and the church in it right now as we find ourselves in a great global pandemic and turmoil, really, that the whole planet is experiencing. Everybody is experiencing this. And they really do parallel the times of the last days you know, uh, what happened to them then. It's a parallel of the last days uh, of Judah, Jerusalem, and the temple, and we'll we'll explore that a little bit more. Uh, America's church and its people 
and I, and I and I don't want to rush to this thought here, but America, her churches, and her people are in deep, deep trouble. Yeah. Like Judah's last days, you know, many voices have emerged in our time, in the churches, and at a national level. And what we're beginning to see, church, because we're talking to the church, is there are two messages beginning to emerge, and those messages are going to be on a collision course. That's where we're headed. Because the defining line is going to be, it's not going to be gray. It's either going to be black or white. It's either true or it's false. And, and that's what's beginning to emerge right now. There are two messages being formed, two messages being spoken, and two messages like in the days of Jeremiah, uh, just before the judgment that came in total, or total, uh, there was a conflict that was in the wings. It, it was it was moving headlong towards a confrontation, and and only one of them could be true, and one of them was preaching a message that nobody wanted to hear. But as we'll see, it was the right message. And so, like, over the last few days, we've examined the basket of, of good figs. But today, we want to turn our attention to the basket of the evil figs so that we can better understand that these incredible events, uh, we need to go back and, and see something and understand something about these events and how, they, how they're very similar to the kinds of things we're seeing and experiencing right now in this complete and total global shakeup that we've been living under in the year 2020. And and I think to better understand the events uh, of, of, of Judah and Israel and, and all that happened to them, today we look at the basket of evil figs. And these incredible events, we in order to really understand them, like I'm saying, we need to go back and see something that the Lord had already revealed to Jeremiah. He revealed it 15 years earlier, and we're going to look at this because it adds great understanding uh, for what they were about to undergo. So, so let's take a look at this. We're focusing now on the, the the second basket, the evil figs, and what they represent, and and how it led up to that. And so, let's take a look at that as we turn over to Jeremiah chapter 27. I'm going to have uh, Brother Jeremy read uh, chapter 27, verse 1 through. Three. Would you would you do that, Brother Jeremy? Yes. In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, came this word unto Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus saith the Lord to me, Make thee bonds and yokes, and put them upon thy neck, and send them to the king of Edom, and to the king of Moab, and to the king of the Ammonites, and to the king of Tyrus, and to the king of Zidon, by the hand of the messengers which come to Jerusalem, unto Zedekiah, king of Judah. So now if we're not careful here, we might miss something very important. Notice that in Jeremiah chapter 27, verse 1, what Jeremiah is about to unfold and what we're going to look at today, because he's dealing with the nation, it is dealing specifically with Zedekiah and the people that were left after the initial captivity, which we've talked about at length. So 
what if we if we're not careful we'll, we'll miss a, a little a little uh, nugget here that's very interesting because in in 27 verse 1 it says it was in the beginning of Jehoiakim and his reign the son of Josiah of Judah came this word and then what the Lord has Jeremiah do he tells him thus saith the Lord to me make thee bonds and yokes and put them on thy neck but then when we get to verse 3 he tells him to send these yokes and these bonds uh, by messengers uh, which are coming to Jerusalem and, and who are visiting Zedekiah the king. Well, that, that seems like a contradiction because verse 1, he gets this vision when Jehoiakim's reigning, but in verse 3, he's telling him to send the yokes and it's Zedekiah that's reigning. So <clears throat> what we see there is that, and in order to understand it correctly, what we're seeing is that when Jehoiakim became the king, God gave Jeremiah a vision. But Jehoiakim would reign for almost 11 years. And it appears that 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 uh, when these actual yokes and these bonds were, were sent by emissaries to the surrounding kings, it wasn't until Zedekiah became the king. And so what we understand of that is that Jeremiah kept this word to himself for almost 11 years, that the Lord had given him this word of the impending rise of Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire, but he kept it to himself until the reign of Zedekiah, after Jehoiakim was gone, after the captivity. Now understand, <laughs> it's interesting to understand that the vision of Nebuchadnezzar, again, it came 11 years before he even rose to full power. He saw it, and the Lord showed it to him in the beginning of Jehoiakim's reign. But Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't come down and take Jeconiah and, 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 and those people captive to Babylon until 11 years after this. Understand, this is how the Lord reveals things, way in advance. <laughs> he shows his people things way in advance. It also shows us the incredibly uh, developed prophet that Jeremiah really was. He saw something in what happened in the transition of power. And this is important for us to understand, even as we're experiencing what we're experiencing in our time, because they are very serious times. Many people do not take the time to look at what's actually transpiring around them. Jeremiah saw things at a very high level. He was an incredibly intelligent prophet. God had developed him to this point. And it's during the time of Jehoiakim, as soon as the transition takes place, he sees something by the Spirit and hears the voice of the Lord revealing to him that a global system was about to rise and a megalomaniac leader named Nebuchadnezzar would eventually come and, and subjugate the whole world under a one-world government and a one-world spiritual system and a one-world economic system headed by a one-world dictator named Nebuchadnezzar. He saw all that years in advance, decades in advance. 
and this rise to power by Jehoiakim out of a tragic event caused a trigger in his spirit to open or to alert him to the fact that the spirit of the Lord was now about to flip the switch and begin to bring to pass all the prophecies that had been laid before centuries before, at least two centuries before, through Isaiah and Hosea and all the subsequent prophets up through Manasseh a hundred years later, uh, you know, the prophets that prophesied through there and then culminating with the rise of Jeremiah, he understood something by the Spirit of the Lord that the time had now come. What, what I continue to really look at, and brothers, jump in anytime you want, is this, this triggering event of, of, of Jeremiah's ministry, because as we've talked about before, and now we're talking about how he began to deal with the rebellious that were left in Jerusalem, uh, and, and when he actually began after the captivity to deal with the basket of evil figs, as, as he called them in, in chapter 24, verse 1. What is incredibly notable and, and something that we need to pay attention to, as we've talked about before, is that the prophecies had been given to this nation, this nation of God's people, that if they did not turn from, from their heathenistic and idolatrous practices, which they had brought not only into their homes, but all the way up into the temple of God, that he was going to judge them and judge them severely. Well, he, was, he, he began prophesying these things in the days of Isaiah. And 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 and, and uh, that was a good hundred and almost two hundred years before they would actually transpire, and there would be subsequent prophets all along the decades, you know, lamenting and prophesying, but they wouldn't turn. And what's unique to me about Jeremiah is that he is that prophet along with Habakkuk and Uriah, who we'll look at in in, in a day or two, uh, that that were raised up by God. And they were unique to the prophetic ministry in that they would they would be there to witness not only the words that God had given them to warn their generation, but the words that had been laid down by the prophets of old that were going to come to pass in their time. And this is important to understand because it's a very difficult thing to wrap your head around, to really embrace. When do you... When does a John the Baptist, like we've talked about before, you and me, Brother Fernando, when does a John the Baptist decide to put on the mantle of Elijah, right? There comes a triggering event where where where, where you're all in, you know? <laughs> I mean, you're actually all in. Right. And 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 Jeremiah was like that. He 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 came all in. You know, he wasn't it's easy to prophesy about something in the future, right? But but to say it's gonna happen in our time. That's a whole different story. That's a whole different level. That's a whole different level of consecration and sanctification in the pursuit of God for the hidden and the secret. We see a quality of it, which is kind of interesting, because in that captivity that took place, remember the prophet Daniel was one of them that was taken captive. Isn't it interesting that the core development of his own prophetic experience allowed him by the Spirit of God to go into the secret things and have them revealed to him? It is the same quality. I, I, it kind of gives me chills when I think about it because just before the captivity was let loose and they were allowed to return and rebuild the new Jerusalem, Daniel is studying. He He's not studying Isaiah or Amos or Micah. He might have been, but he quotes Jeremiah. 
and says that it's Jeremiah's writings that alerted me to the fulfillment of the prophecies in my time that God's people were going to be let go. But, you know, after that 70 year period, but that's for another another day in the future. The point is this. When do you recognize that what you are seeing, my God, what you are actually seeing is the time of the prophet's words being fulfilled in your generation. And and are you willing to go all in? And what do I mean by that? I mean all in in your public declaration, in what you share with those around you, that we are actually living in those days. Because the Apostle Peter said this, that in the last days that, that there would be those who preach that Jesus is coming but that the population had become so hard and numb to it, even numb to the signs, that they wouldn't respond. And as a matter of fact, they would begin to scoff and laugh and say, it's always been this way, man. We're going to recover from this. But Peter said in the last days, scoffers would come, mocking the message. But but at, on, the, on, on, the, on the flip side as well, though, we look at that and we say, but hey, there were people there and people that are prophesied that are going to have the revelation that we are living in the last days. And who are those people specifically? Peter said so in Second Peter chapter 3. They would be the ones who studied the commandments of the Holy Apostles and dug deep into the words of the prophets of old. And so it's incredible to me when I think about it that it's at the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim that, Je- that Jeremiah understood at a level that this was the triggering event that was now uh, moving them forward and ultimately would culminate with the fulfillment of the words of the prophets that went before him and including the words that God had been given him since he was a 25-year-old young man. It was going to happen now in his generation. Brother Jeremy, read to us Jeremiah 7 so we can see what I, what we're talking about here. In Jeremiah chapter 7, I think it's... Uh, how he laid out the case and what he called and how he specifically targeted his generation. Can you, uh, can you read that to us? Jeremiah seven twenty six through, through 29. 26 to 29. Okay. Yet they hearken not unto me, nor inclined their ear, but hardened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. Therefore thou shalt speak all these words unto them, but they will not hearken to thee. Thou shalt also call unto them, but they will not answer thee. But thou shalt say unto them, This is a nation that obeyeth not the voice of the Lord their God, nor receiveth correction. Truth is perished and is cut off from their mouth. Cut off thine hair, O Jerusalem and cast it away, and take up a lamentation on high places, for the Lord has rejected and forsaken the generation of his wrath. What was indicative of that generation? Read verse 30, would you, Brother Jeremy? For the children of Judah have done evil in my sight, saith the Lord. They have set their abominations in the house, which is called by my name, to pollute it. Incredible. So the, the the extent of the generation he was living in had reached the point that they were no longer uh, 
uh, you know, reachable in the fact that they even went into the very house of God and brought their idolatry, brought their pagan practices, brought their compromise into God's house where they gathered, and he says to pollute it. It, it polluted his house. And, and uh, if we haven't seen the same thing leading up to 2020 as this description of a nation in the United States, then I don't know what describes it, because this perfectly describes it. And that's what Jeremiah was saying. And that's what God was telling Jeremiah. He called it in verse 29 that the Lord has rejected and forsaken, and he, and he identifies it this way, the generation of his wrath. Incredible. Because yeah, what that teaches us, brothers, uh, go ahead. What were you going to say? No, I'm saying yes. That, that, that's it, brother. Forsaken yeah, generation what, what, of what his that, wrath. Yes, what that teaches us is that God selects time periods mm. where he pours out his judgment. It's the culmination that comes to rest on a generation, a generation that has been produced over time, the kind of generation that, that refuses to receive correction, the kind of generation that no longer can easily identify truth because it's perished. Everybody's a liar. <laughs> Nobody tells the right. truth. He, he says it's right. cut off from their mouth. And he talks about that, that it culminates with the attitude of doing evil in the sight of the Lord, setting their abominations in the house of the Lord, which is called by his name, and it has polluted and corrupted the whole of the spiritual fiber and content of the nation. Now, I said all that to say this, uh, to go back to what we were talking about. Again, we're examining the evil figs, and the origins of those evil figs go all the way back multiple decades. And something triggered Jeremiah's heart to where he understood that the ascension of Jehoiakim in chapter 27, verse 1, to the throne was the very switch that identified the generation of his wrath was now there that he, they had reached this point. Yes, it would be a matter of 22 years from that point. But what is 22 years? We were just talking about that on the uh, uh, off the air from 9-11 till now. I mean, gosh, time has flown, right? We're headed into the 20th year already. Who would have thought? Right. right. Right? But in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, came this word unto Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Make thee bonds and put them on thy neck. And then and then there's a from verse 2 to verse 3, there's this incredible length of time. It's as if he constructed these things, held on to them, but he himself began to wear a yoke. Think about this, brothers. It's 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 extraordinary to consider this. The prophets including Jeremiah had been warning for years what was coming. Judgment Yet the nation was self-deluded. Even in the face of the great King Josiah being slain on the fields of Megiddo by Pharaoh Necho. Even when Pharaoh removed King Jehoaz and set up Jehoiakim when he, when he put Judah and Jerusalem under taxation and, and then he installed his own puppet king, that's Jehoiakim, they still couldn't see what was happening to them as a nation. So now the Lord takes it to an extreme level. And read verse 2. What does he have the prophet do? 
Is that in chapter 24? 27. 27. <laughs> Pay attention. Right. Well, because I was in I was in chapter seven. So, oh, right, you're taking the journey. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I repent. Here we go. <laughs> it says, "Thus saith the Lord to me: Make thee bonds and yokes, and put them upon thy neck." He has him do something extreme. He 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 creates an illustrated sermon, right? As soon as Jehoiakim becomes king, he says, "I want you to go make me something, Jeremiah. Make these bonds, make these yokes. Really, what that was, it was like a metal bar and these leather straps, and it's what they would use when they would when they would." Uh, you know, hook up their their steeds or their ox, you know, to plow the field. It, it's the uh, it's the thing that keeps them in line. And so, when you do some research here, from that point on, Jeremiah would walk publicly with this yoke on him. It's literally like a, a wooden beam with these leather straps where he would rest his arms there, and he'd walk around. It looked like he was carrying a cross. And he would walk around like that, not for a day or two, but for 15 years. <laughs> Incredible. All right. He would wear this yoke, and it was for 15 years that he wore the yoke. But then there's there's an 11-year, three-plus-month gap between verse 1 and 2 and verse 3. How do we know that? Because when he actually sends the yokes, he sends them, and there's a different king in power. Can you read verse 3 to us, Brother Jeremy? And send them to the king of Edom, and of the king, and to the king of Moab, and to the king of the Ammonites, and to the king of Tyrus, and to the king of Sidon, by the hand of the messengers which come to Jerusalem unto Zedekiah, king of Judah. So now notice, he makes the yokes under Je Jehoiakim, but he doesn't actually send them to the surrounding nations until Zedekiah is in power. So that lets us know that the captivity has already taken place, right? Isn't that right? Jeremiah 24 yeah. tells us that, that Zedekiah is in rulership after Jeconiah and the captivity was taken to Babylon. So this, this event of making the yokes and what he's about to preach and unfold, Jeremiah, as we go on into this, is the coming of Nebuchadnezzar and the global empire, a type of the Antichrist, a symbolic type of the Antichrist. Why is this important? Because we're looking at parallels and metaphors. How does it apply to us today? And that's what we're exploring. Because it appears that the captivity triggered an attempt, listen to this, by the political powers of the region to enter into a confederacy with Zedekiah in the hopes of preventing the absolute rise of Nebuchadnezzar's power. <laughs> uh, okay, I need a classroom for this. Now listen, look at what happens because we want to look at the intrigue of this. He makes the yokes and then he holds on to them. He holds on to them until until Zedekiah is in power. Because now we're approaching and getting even closer to the rise of 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 this Antichrist figure, this Nebuchadnezzar, this this global system. The political intrigue is amazing, and it's important. It's important to to understand something here. I want you to consider this now. 
again, it's been almost 11 years since he's made these yokes. Jehoiakim was deposed already. Jeconiah became the king. We've been talking about this for two podcasts. Jeconiah and 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 uh, and and many of the of the princes of Judah, the smiths, the carpenters, the the best of the best of the people are taken captive. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Mordecai, Ezekiel, among that bunch that was taken captive and taken to Babylon within that at the end of the three month period of Jeconiah's reign. And then Zedekiah becomes the king. And Zedekiah would be the last king. And he would reign for 11 years, and then the ultimate and complete judgment would come. Now understand this, that in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 27, again, it was when Jehoiakim, the one who ruled for 11 years before he was deposed, before the captivity, right when he ascended to the throne, God gives Jeremiah an understanding and a vision and tells him, you make these yokes, you hold on to them. And when you do some historical study, you'll see that Jeremiah actually walked around with these yokes. When we get to chapter 28 and we see the false prophet, because we talked about two opposing words coming against each other, this is what would elevate him into the very chamber of the king. And in that chamber of the king, he would pronounce that that Babylon was coming, <laughs> that the global reset was occurring, that there was going to be one power that would enslave the whole world. And he's standing before the king in this yoke, and the false prophet walks over, and after 15 years of carrying this illustrated sermon, he breaks the yoke off of Jeremiah's neck and begins to prophesy a false word and bring into the political discourse in the public square a completely contradictory word to the one that the Lord had been disseminating through his prophet. Now listen, but before that takes place, after holding on to these implements of, of yokes and bands, verse 3 tells us, can you read verse 3 again, Brother Jeremy? And send them to the king of Edom, and to the king of Moab, and to the king of the Ammonites, and to the king of Tyrus, and to the king of Sidon by the hand of the messengers which come to Jerusalem unto Zedekiah, king of Judah. This is incredible because what we see now happening after 11 plus years is God moves upon Jeremiah and says, now, now's the time that you're going to step up and I'm going to increase the heat of what I'm giving you and sending you to proclaim. Because Jeremiah is basically being revealed here by the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar is coming. And we know from history, looking back at it, it was only going to be a decade after this, one, 10 years, 10 years and some months after this, when it would actually happen. And and those of you who, who are old enough to have gray hairs, you know, 10 years flies by, right? So it's not that long a period of time, especially when you consider that the word that he's being commanded to decree is going to culminate with the destruction of the people of God nation judah their capital city jerusalem and the heart of their spiritual identity the very temple that was constructed by solomon all of it's about to come down in 10 years and jeremiah has been holding on to this uh word this revelation of a coming uh global system headed by an antichrist figure known as nebuchadnezzar the babylonian empire and he's been holding on to these implements that god had him construct he had him construct them for the surrounding nations Understand that when Nebuchadnezzar came down and, and removed the children of Israel captive, 
and took them to Babylon, he left a contingent of a population still there. The city still had to be run. The, the temple was still being taken care of by the priests and false prophets. There was still a population there that tended to the gardens and the land and so forth and so on. But the best of the best were taken away and they were protected. And when Jeremiah begins to now move, it's after the captivity. It's after that historical event. And now he begins to, to double down and he steps out into the public arena. He interjects himself into the national and international uh, you know, scene, man. Why do you say international? Because he's, he's getting ready to deal with the king of Edom, the king of Moab, the king of the Ammonites, the king of Tyrus, and the king of Zidon. Why? There was still some kind of, you know, uh, <clears throat> what's the word? Some kind of delusion that these nations were under. Remember, they just saw Nebuchadnezzar come down into Jerusalem and take a whole bunch of people captive. The good figs, as we've been calling them. What was left behind was the evil figs. They were resisting what, what was happening, what they didn't understand collectively. Not only the nations surrounding Jerusalem and the other nations in, in the region, but, but Jerusalem and its rulership itself didn't understand what was happening. They still had hopes that they could overturn what was actually happening. And so they began to meet together. They began to have political discourse as to how we're going to emerge out of this rising power called Babylon, and this incredibly powerful Antichrist figure, Nebuchadnezzar. How are we going to overthrow this? They still had hopes of creating some sort of military alliances to prevent the inevitable, which was a global takeover. I don't think you hear what I'm saying, <laughs> what Jeremiah is revealing here. Listen, it's at this point that he interjects himself into the political discourse. He, was, he became at this point a prophet to the nations, just like the Lord said he would, right? In Jeremiah chapter 1, he said, I've ordained you to be a prophet to my people and to the nations. Now he's entering into that phase of his ministry. And look what he does in verse 3. The Lord has Jeremiah intercept the ambassadors, and he hands them all these yokes and, and bands to take back to their kings. He intercepted Think of this, brothers. Now, this is just just let me slow down here. Think of this. He he literally he has the audacity and the boldness to mess with the political workings of the administration and and to begin to bypass the king and he gives these ambassadors from the other nations who are trying to preserve the king and their territory, and he sends them back to their kings with a word from God. And what does he tell them? Read verse 4 to us. Would you Look what he does in verse 4, Brother, Brother Jeremy, would you? And command them to say unto their masters, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, thus shall you say unto your masters. And before we get into what he sends them back to say, think of this again. You, you have sovereign nations sending their ambassadors to Jerusalem, meeting with the royal house of Zedekiah, the king himself, 
they're meeting trying to figure out what are we going to do to prevent the rise of this global power and 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 into this climate god sends his prophet to intercept the ambassadors from these nations and then he hands them all the very same yokes that he's wearing as an illustrated sermon that bondage is coming to the whole world and he and then and then the lord says and you go back and you tell them to go back to their kings and tell them what's coming. And look what he tells them in verse 5. Because he gives them a prophetic word from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Can you read this again? Verse 4 through 8. Read that, brother. 4 through 8. And commanded them to say unto their masters, Thus saith the Lord of hope, the God of Israel, Thus shall you say unto your masters, I have made the earth, the man and the beast that are upon the ground, by my great power and by my outstretched arm, and have given it unto whom it seemed meet unto me. And now have I given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. And the beast of the field have I given him also, to serve him. My, my. And, all and all nations shall serve him and his son and his son's son until the very time of his land come. And then many nations and great kings shall serve themselves of him. And it shall come to pass that the nation and kingdom which will not serve the same Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and that will not put their neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, that nation will I, will I punish, saith the Lord, with the sword and with the famine and with the pestilence, until I have consumed them by his hand. My. <laughs> All right, think of the implications of this. Again, we're looking at historical narrative and how, how it applies to our time. What makes it unique is that what Nebuchadnezzar was, again, I keep emphasizing this and we keep emphasizing this, he is a prefigure, a type of the Antichrist. He is a global system. He, he enslaved the whole known world of that time. He dominated it. He required the worship of his statue. That's the book of Revelation. I mean, it's right there. But what's intriguing amongst many things to me is that God has his prophet interject himself into international politics, to say it, you know, in modern language, to, to, to derail and to thwart the influence of, of their counsel and their political discourse at a time when prophetic events are being fulfilled. Events that foreshadow the last days and the end of time, our time. They are pictures of our time. That's what the Bible tells us, that we're to look at those things and understand them to be so. And, and, and for another day, we'll look at it. But even the book of Revelations mentions the spirit of Babylon in 16, 17, and 18 of the book of Revelation. So this has far-reaching implications from their time period up until ours. And we have to understand and glean what is actually taking place behind the scenes because it's as if God puts us in a time machine and takes us back there and lets us see what's going on at a very high level now. Jeremiah's walking with ambassadors, walking in the courts of kings, dealing with national uh, 
uh, prophets of, of Judah at, at, at the temple itself, and also calling out the counselors and the sorcerers and the magicians of the false gods. That's what he goes on to do in verse 9. Can you read that in verse 9, Brother Jeremy, in 10? Yes. Therefore hearken not ye to your prophets, nor to your di uh, diviners, nor to your dreamers, nor to your enchanters, nor to your sorcerers, which speak unto you, saying, Ye shall not serve the king of Babylon. For they prophesy a lie unto you, to remove you far from your land, and that I should drive you out, and ye should perish. So he's warning them that their prophets were liars. Their prophets and enchanters and magicians and sorcerers, that they were counseling them the wrong way. And, and I find that incredibly intriguing. Do you understand the implications of this? We're not talking about some little country bumpkin who claims to be a prophet preaching to some people in a trailer somewhere. We're talking about a man full of the Spirit of God who interjects himself into international and national political discourse warning the kings of the region that they better not enter into an agreement with Zedekiah and that they better come under the submission of what's happening. And that is, in effect, that there is coming a global ruler with a global empire. And if you don't submit to this, this thing that is being allowed by the God of heaven and earth, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you're going to be destroyed. And what's incredible is that he warns the Gentile nations before he sends Jeremiah to Zedekiah the king. Why did he do this? Well, first of all, I think uh, it represents he's a God of mercy and grace, right? He loves all people. But that, that, that's just on the surface, one of the, the, the things. But number two, I think it's because he's about to begin the process of isolating completely his people. There won't be no one to rescue them. There's not coming, uh, uh, you know, the Calvary is not going to arrive at this time. And that's why we were talking about the importance of understanding uh, or at least exploring the ideas and the understanding when prophetic events are, are unfolding. Do we have the spiritual quality and insight and development to correctly discern when we have reached the point when prophetic events are now coming to pass? Are we willing to go out on a line in this global pandemic, in this global reset, in the this hour in our nation of the shutting of the doors of our churches and the complete altering of life as we've known it. This is a completely different world. And if you can't see that, and if you keep hoping that something's going to come out of this, which we'll see in the remainder of our study here in the next few minutes, that's going to be a positive thing that leads to revival, you better hit your knees and call out to God and, 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 and reshuffle your deck, man. Because what's happening, <laughs> what's happening is, is so intense. And who is going to have the audacity to step up and say, thus saith the Lord? It better be someone like Jeremiah who understands what God is saying. Someone that has been shut away with God. Someone that has been in a secret prayer of closet, not just for a week or two or even several months, but for years. Someone who knows God someone who is connected to his spirit and understands because he's allowed the spirit of God to
to train him or her in the ways of God. Do you understand how extraordinary this is? That, that, that a man of God would interject himself at this level in order to protect the surrounding nations from what's ultimately going to come upon his own people. They withdrew, if you study history, they withdrew their treaties because the man of God warned them. They listened to the prophet. God's own people didn't. As a matter of fact, a whole host of, of false prophets rose up and would contramand his word. And that's what we see after he addresses the nations because God is a good God. But there's multiple things that he does whenever he moves and acts, especially in the realm of true prophecy. I'm not talking about this crazy stuff that goes on today, you know, this, you know, imagination of the heart, these dreams, these visions, these crazy things, that I, what, what I feel, what I sense, you know, all that stuff. No, no, no. I'm talking about a, a man of God who built his ministry upon the words of God that had gone before him from the prophets that were before him. He understood them thoroughly, and they caused the development of his own spirit to elevate him to this position now so that he's critically involved at the last moment, at the most crucial time in the unfolding of prophecy on the earth as specifically dealing with the generation of his wrath. Brother Marty, um, think about the, the word of the false prophets today that we see on uh, television. Um, it, everything has to do with our nation and how God is going to bless it, right? But what we're yeah. saying here is Jeremiah was able to transcend his own patriotism and, and the love for his country in, in that he was able to speak a word that transcended, you know, his nation, and it was global, or at least in, in his day, you know, uh, uh, it, it reached as far as the Gentile nations that were going to come under the rulership uh, and dictatorship of Nebuchadnezzar. That's right. Right? So Very. think about that for a moment. You know, that's the kind of word that's going to come forth. That's a true prophet of God. It's not yeah. just one that sees what's coming to America, but it's one who sees what's coming upon the earth. Praise God. God, that's right, brother. No, excellent. That's exactly right because that that transitions after he deals with the nations of the world. Now he turns. Think about what he did there. He he functions almost as the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, the Holy Spirit's in him. That's what the prophets are. are. They're full of the Spirit of the Lord. They're full of Jesus. That's what the Bible says in the New Testament that the Spirit of Christ was in these prophets, uh, moving through them and prophesying. That the Holy Spirit inspired them. So this is what we see is, is God using a vessel to affect global events. And that's what Jeremiah is doing. He's preparing, he's preaching, he's talking. But once he's, he's done what he did with the Gentile nations and the surrounding territories, he now turns his focus on King Zedekiah, the last king before ultimate judgment. And that's where we come to, the prophet before the king, right? The Jeremiah. And, 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 and Brother Jeremy, would you read to us verse 12 through, uh, let's see here, what's a good place? 16. Why don't we do that? I spake also to Ze Zedekiah, king of Judah, according to all these words, saying, Bring your necks 
under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him and his people and live? Why, why will ye die, thou and thy people, by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence, as the Lord has spoken against the nation that will not serve the king of Babylon? Therefore hearken not unto the words of the prophets that speak unto you, saying, Ye shall not serve the king of Babylon, for they prophesy a lie unto you. For I have not sent them, saith the Lord, yet they prophesy a lie in my name, that I might drive you out, and that ye might perish, ye and the prophets that prophesy unto you. Also, I spake to the priests and to all this people, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hearken not to the words of your prophets that prophesy unto you, saying, Behold, the vessels of the Lord's house shall now shortly be brought again from Babylon, for they prophesy a lie unto you. My goodness, there's a lot in there, and we're going to hurry through it real quick so we can jump off from these points tomorrow. But after having uh, held a word for 11 plus years, including the implements, which we don't have time to get into, but the actual construction uh, construction of a material vessel used in, uh, to accompany the word that he sends the ambassadors back to the surrounding nations with, it's incredibly profound because it's a material object that represents the word of God. And it was sent to the kings and had such an impact on them that they withdrew from this this uh, maddening council uh, that they were engaged in with Zedekiah, thinking that they were somehow going to be able to resist this coming global onslaught by that prefigured Antichrist figure, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire, the global empire of that time. And Jeremiah basically steps up and now turns his attention by the Spirit of the Lord and comes into his own house to his own people he he comes before the king and and he's wearing this yoke i mean he's he's preaching as his arms are dangling over this symbol of of a yoke that you would put on a a domesticated subservient animal that plows the field like a slave and that's how he shows up to the king he shows up to him in verse 12 and and he enters the king's court, and he, pre- and he preaches a completely outrageous message, man. <laughs> what did, read verse 12, Brother Jeremy, real quick. What did he say? How does he open up his message? Bring your necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon, and serve him and his people, and live. Are you kidding me? Do you think that the message – what if we go out in the public square today and we tell the church in America and its leadership, you need to submit to what's coming? It's going to preserve you because if you resist it, it's going to kill you. Mm-hmm. This is a proud people. This is Judah. Uh, we're the people of Moses and Samuel and Samson and King David and Solomon, you know, I mean, Josiah, you know, all these Hezekiah, they go down this list. And, and, and we're the people of God. We were, we're chosen. We, we, we're blessed, you know. Our capital city is the envy of, of the world. You know, our temple is, is one of the eighth wonders of the world. You know, we have the oracles of all my, go down the list, right? They wrap themselves in their national and spiritual pride. Are you going to say something? 
No, I was reading earlier this morning um, that the city of Pasadena threatened uh, a church with uh, fines and one year in prison for uh, attending church. It's what you're talking about, right? I yeah, mean, that's exactly that's that's exactly what happened to to uh, to Judah, right? Um, so yeah, that's they're threatening, they're threatening us. <laughs> they're so. threatening us because we are resisting what Correct. is happening. See, this is real controversial. I mean, I've spent an hour almost getting to this point, but I mean, this is this is it, man. I mean, this is what we were talking about. As the prophet goes, when do you determine that you're all in? I mean, Jeremiah was always all in, right? But I mean, my goodness, I mean, you, you you've just thwarted the political alliances. When he steps into this king's chamber now, do you think the king didn't know what he had done? Do you think the king didn't know and wasn't aware that he had intercepted the ambassadors from from his only probably alliance that he was left with at this time. My God, they killed Jehoiakim and and and, and they just took three months ago or so or three I mean a few a few days ago they took Jeconiah and thousands of people. You know, uh, just a just a few months ago they took thousands of our people, the best of the best, and they're in Babylon. And I'm trying to do what I can to fix this thing. And I'm surrounded by a bunch of false prophets telling me not to pay attention to the circumstances, not to trust my lying eyes, right, of what's actually happening here. And and then and then this prophet who's been plaguing us since the days of Josiah, mm-hmm. telling us mm-hmm. everything's going to fall apart, now he interrupts and 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 by and 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 starts handing out these yokes and sending ambassadors back to the king, and now nobody's returning my phone call, man. Yeah. And you come step in here, and now you tell me that we're supposed to to let it happen and not resist it? Brother, are you all ready to go all in? (laughs) You I mean, let's put some flesh and blood on this now, man. I mean, the last kind of dude you want to hear when you're up under this, your very nation's survival is at stake. We're talking about the people of God here, the church's identity, everything. Parallels are striking. And you have you have two prophets on a collision course, which is what we're going to get at tomorrow. We'll, we'll talk about this great confrontation that takes place like a couple months later, back into the king's court. And it's going to result with that prophet breaking the yoke off of Jeremiah's body and rebuking him in front of the king and all the other people. But Jeremiah comes in power and stands before this king. He's not afraid. As a matter of fact, God told him way back in the beginning in Jeremiah chapter 1, right? He says, don't you be afraid of their faces or I'll confound you before them. So I know that by this point in his life, he's not just a timid 25-year-old who's trying to feel his way through the call of God on his life. He's a fully grown, my God, he bears the battle scars of the prophecy and the office with which he's been called to. You can't scare this dude. He knows God. Hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. That's what we need in America right now. Yeah. Men of God yeah. like Jeremiah, 
that, that are unafraid to stand in the face of power and tell them the truth. See, what the American church doesn't want to hear is that its days of grace have quite possibly come to an end. And what I mean by that is what he said earlier in Jeremiah chapter 7, what Brother Jeremy said. You polluted my house. You brought these idols into my house. You spent decades corrupting my people with your false doctrine and your false messages and your corrupted, diluted, soot-filled sanctuaries. And you've darkened my houses. You've, you've used smoke bombs and laser beams and you, you parade these sensual women in front of my people now. You've brought your, your lust into my house. You, your tattooed preachers who don't even button their shirts and, and these crazy programs that you've developed. You've flooded the earth with your noisome songs. You've polluted my house. You've brought this on yourself. And now you're going to stand up and resist what was inevitable to happen, and it didn't happen overnight. I told you about it for decades, but you wouldn't listen. Right. Mm-hmm. He was literally saying in verse 13, why will you die, you and the people, by the sword? Are we seeing the sword right now? You're darn right we are. Our streets are filled with violence. The famine. Are we seeing famine? Yeah. Go ask the people of Iowa who just lost 141 million acres of the nation's corn. Or the long lines at the food banks that we're witnessing. Because people can't eat the homelessness and the pestilence. Oh, well, that goes without saying. That's what triggered all this. We've got the sword, the famine, and the pestilence raging in our country, and yet our national ministers and preachers don't even know what's going on. They can't even see the signs of the times and recognize you are under judgment, and you don't see it. Understand what's happening, Jeremiah is telling the king. Your time has come, and you better submit to the Lord's correction, because if you don't, you're going to die. Just like you pointed out, Brother Jer- uh, Fernando, these preachers that are pretending to, to be these martyrs for Jesus, all they're doing is stoking the devils in these political demons that are trying to shut the church as a whole and bringing them to the forefront so that they have excuses to throw all the people of God in jail if they want to. Even in California, where you guys live, your crazy governor over there is saying anyone who meets above 10 people, they'll get fined or thrown in jail. Or any church that wants to meet, they're going to turn off their electricity. Come on, somebody. Are you serious? Do you see what's happening? That's what Jeremiah was saying to his king. And then he counsels him in verse 14. What does he say in verse 14, Brother Jeremy? Let's see right here. <clears throat> says, therefore hearken not unto the words of the prophets that speak unto you, saying, Ye shall not serve the king of Babylon, for they prophesy a lie unto you. Let me tell you something. This this this, this prophecy or this prophetic utterance that Jeremiah has given to uh, Zedekiah. Think of what he just said there. Think of how incredible he, he's he's literally. 
is literally contradicting the word of the king's spiritual advisors, man, of the king's prophets, right? And what he is saying is so outrageous, just as it is in our climate right now. It's outrageous to think, to actually wrap our heads around this. Is God's hand in this? And is he trying to correct his people? And they continue to rebel against it. It is. (laughs) Somebody help me here. You got any ideas? I mean, what are you feeling? What do you think? Because that's what Jeremiah was saying. Submit yourself? Are you serious? That's what's being asked. Notice how many false prophets are abounding. What was their message? It's the opposite of submit, right? <laughs> but he yeah, said, I think I think, I, I think that's the question. Uh, you started off with it. Are we willing to go all in with this proclamation? Um, are we willing to go all in and declare this word to the nation, to those that want to hear? And this word to the nations of the world, you know, and whatever platform we have. And it's, yeah. it's something that we're asking ourselves daily. <laughs> and yes. and we're, this, is, this is what we're saying. This is what we believe the word of the Lord is. It's the same word that God gave Jeremiah to give to Judah, to give to the surrounding nations that would come under the, 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 um, the power uh, of of Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, it's the same word that the Lord has given to America and to the world. That's the question that the listener has to ask. Is this the word of the Lord now or is it not? It's, it's very simple, right? Yeah. Is this the word of the Lord or is it not? Well, I can tell you one thing. We obviously haven't finished our Dale Carnegie How to Win Friends and Influence People with this kind of preaching. <laughs> That's for mm-hmm. sure. <laughs> you could so, never, you could never, you could never build a mega ministry with this kind of word. No. It contradicts mm-hmm. what, you know, uh, the message that is used to build something like that. You get what I'm saying? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And that, that's you know, really that's really the, the challenge right now, is, you know, on the people. Hey, it, 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 you said there's a clash coming between these two words, that of the false prophets and the true prophets. Of, it's a Mount Carmel showdown. My goodness. Coming to the forefront. See, and it's interesting that you point, pointed that out there, a Mount Carmel showdown, you know, between Elijah and the false prophets. Because the nation is abounding with prophets. And that's what Brother Jeremy just read there in verse 14, what he's telling the king. Don't listen unto not the prophet that you're listening to, but the prophets, plural. They were everywhere. Right. And what was the collective agreed upon, you know, message? Overthrow Babylon. I mean, forget this. <laughs> See, this is the hardest thing to communicate and what what I'm sensing and what we're sensing, I believe, you know, because we're either right or we're wrong. And, and I, I pray to God we're we're not right. 
because I don't, I'm not some masochist who enjoys this kind of talking, but every time I hit my knees, man, <laughs> every time I search for him and call out to him and go to his word in these last several months, this is what he's saying to me. And, and this is what I'm hearing from the spirit of the Lord. And I say that with all fear and trembling, but I'm pleading it's like fire shut up in my bones. It's like it's like a it's like an unction. It's like an intercession. I was in tears this morning when I read about what the ultimate destiny was for this king that Jeremiah was standing in front of, telling him not to pay attention to these false preachers. He ended up dying. He ended up having his eyes burned out. He ended up seeing his own children slayed with the sword in front of him as a lasting memory. Uh, and lament he would live in prison and in chains and in darkness and not be able to see and the only thing he would have in his memory would be his children were slayed before him and he would hear the voice of the prophet i know he did jeremiah pleading with him like he did this day saying don't do this man i cried this morning when i read that and i cry for our country i cry for the people they're good people they just don't know and then they've had stupid preachers telling them stupid things for decades. They think they're saved, a lot of them, and they, they've never even heard the gospel. And so they rally around this compromised pseudo-Christianity that is not Christianity, that does anything but avoid uh, persecution or, or pain or, or trial or test as if it's entitled to to skate its way uh, through through a world that's gone mad, and then Jesus is going to come and rescue us from all this madness because we're the privileged uh, American church. Are you kidding me? You don't even see what's happening. You have no strength to see what's happening. And then you've got these knuckleheads trying to pretend that they're some, and they're driven by ego. They're trying, like like Hananiah was, who will look out tomorrow. They're driven by ego because the opposite is happening, and and it's a threat to them and to their ministry and their very survival right now. Right. Notice in verse fourteen, right, brother, uh, the false prophets are abounding, and, and Jeremiah tells him, uh, <laughs> "Don't listen to them, brothers and sisters out there. Don't listen to these false preachers on TV." Or these, or these knuckleheads, or these these crazy sisters that float through churches. You know who I'm talking about? Those hyper pseudo spiritual people. I heard a dream. I, I saw this thing on YouTube. Blah blah blah. Tell them to tell you in the word. Tell them to show you in the word of God. Amen. What does God's word say? Right. And if they can't, then right. run from them. Get mm -hmm. them out of your life. That's what Jeremiah was trying to tell the king. Right? They prophesied to you a lie. My goodness. These are strong words, and he wasn't speaking them to, to me or Fernando or Jeremy. He's speaking them to a man that could have his head cut off at any second. And he's telling him the exact opposite of what he wants to hear. And not only that, he's messed up his foreign policy and completely has him isolated now. My, 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 my. Mm -hmm. Verse 15. Can you read verse 15 again, Brother Jeremy? For I have not sent them, saith the Lord, yet they prophesy a lie in my name, that I might drive you out 
and that you might perish, that you might perish, ye and the prophets that prophesy unto you. Brother, this this actual encounter is about seven years away for when these words would come to pass. Just a mere seven years, as you'll see in chapter twenty-eight when we get into that tomorrow. That that then it finally comes to a head, and Jeremiah has a confrontation with the national prophet Hananiah in the presence of the king and all the court. It's an incredible thing we'll look at tomorrow, Lord willing. But but they're about seven years away, and think about it. that's why I was saying in the dungeons of of Babylon, you know, in chains from the royal palace to the dungeons of a heathen, paganistic, demonic society. That's where he found himself with his eyes burned out. But did his memories go back to this grace of God, this time? Did every time he hear the words of Jeremiah saying, don't listen to them because it's going to result in you your death? Did did he always see the, the image as the wicked one will do? You know, the images of his children screaming out in, 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 in absolute agony and, 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 and fright as they thrust the swords into their guts and they died in front of the king? Did he lament at that moment in chains, yelling, please, no, no, no. I mean, I know it's dramatic, but man, let's put some flesh and blood on this. It is serious if you don't hear what the Spirit tells you. It is serious if you don't turn when he says, thus saith the Lord. It is vital. Not only you, but your whole family's life is at stake. And the devil is such that he'll keep you alive in order to torment you to the greatest extent because of your rebellion. Because of your refusal to listen when God speaks. That's what happened to this king. He was warned seven years before it happened. Jeremiah comes into this throne room and tells him, hey, these these guys are liars. These, these guys are phonies. They prophesy in my name and I didn't send them. But but the result of their ministry is is I'm going to drive you out because you hitched your wagon to this false word. This is, I, I'm struggling for words. This is, this is insane. It's insane on multiple levels. It's crazy when you think about it. When you actually lay it out on the table and begin to look and inspect each individual piece and component and, and rotate it and, and walk up in between the story and the narrative of it, you begin to realize just how incredibly weighty these things are and why it's quite conceivable that if we don't glean from from the the uh the beautiful revelation that's concealed by the spirit and revealed by the spirit for our time we're in deep trouble deep trouble greater than any time i've ever seen and i'm not trying to be dramatic i'm literally telling you i've been alive long enough to have seen several decades go by I mean, I'm a child of the 60s, man. I was, uh, I was I was born before JFK was assassinated. I was alive when they killed Bobby Kennedy. I was there uh, uh, watching the TV when he gave the speech saying that, that uh, J- Martin Luther King had been assassinated. I used to go pick up my dad at, at, at Cal State Northridge and, and have to pass hundreds and hundreds of the hippies that are now the communist Marxist professors in our university that have corrupted your children. I drove by those. I was there in the Vietnam War. We lost loved ones. My uncle was wounded. 
I was alive at Roe versus Wade, the, the taking out of prayer from our schools. This has been a, 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 a decade-long decline, bringing us to this moment that we find ourselves in, in the church. I'm not blaming the world. It was the church and the preachers, these false prophets, that abrogated their position of holiness and, 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 and of being that, those trumpeters of, of righteousness to a nation that was obviously the most blessed nation that's ever been blessed since the days of the nation of Judah and Israel. It's a decline that has been in the making. If 9-11 didn't get our attention, we had about a 30-day revival where the Congress got together on the steps and saying, God bless America. Now they remove God from their platform. If you're looking to politics or to some compromised, uh, you know, pseudo-Christian patriotism movement as your answer, you are more lost. And there's nothing I can possibly say to change your mind. But to those of you who can hear the spirit of the Lord and what God is saying, it's time to understand the time that we're in and, and to be part of the good basket of figs. Go, go deep, man. I mean, get stealthy here. So I'm talking about, I mean, get stealthy. I mean, get, get hidden. Get your children around you. Get your loved ones around you. You step back from this thing and, and you look at it and assess it. And don't listen to these false prophets. That's what Jeremiah was pleading with his king, but he wouldn't listen. And he said, the result is you're going to be driven out, not only you, but it's going to culminate in the absolute deconstruction and platform of these false prophets. They, too, are coming down. That's what he said to him. And, and then he addresses the pastors. And we'll close with this. Verse 16. Would you read verse 16, Brother Jeremiah? Also I spake to the priests and to all this people, saying, Thus saith the Lord, hearken not to the words of your prophets that prophesy unto you, saying, Behold, the vessels of the Lord, the Lord's house, shall now shortly be brought again from Babylon, for they prophesy a lie unto you. He turns to the little pastors, man. <laughs> that have been influenced by these national prophets. He turns to the priests. That's, that's the type of pastors. I mean, they were responsible for ministering to the people and ministering in the temple of the Lord, the more menial, not as glamorous, you know, national pastorate kind of thing, right? I mean, see, he turns to them. He addresses them. And, and he says, you know, you've come under the influence of these false prophets. And what are they telling you in verse 16, right? He says they're telling you that, that the vessels that were taken captive of the Lord's house, they're going to be coming back. What is that? How do we translate that into modern English? Hey, 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 hey listen, guys, we're headed to a great revival. Yeah, we've, 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 you know, we've had this blow. You know, they took part of the vessels. But, hey, you know, we're going to have this great revival. It's all coming back. It's going to come up roses. <laughs> oh, God help me here. The vessels of the Lord's house shall be brought again. In other words, we're going to have a good revival here. That's what the act, this is all about. God setting us up, right? You know, God is going to have us have a great revival. He, he says to them, he says to those little pastors, preachers, priests, whatever you want to call them, it's lies. It's eerie, brother. <laughs> they gave them lies. I want to show you something here. What does he identify? He talks about the vessels, right? The vessels were gone. The very thing that they needed to perform their duties and their ministries had been taken from them. 
It's happening to our pastors right now. The ministries are shut down. They have nothing to perform their duties with yet, and yet these false prophets are telling them a great revival is coming. Oh, goodness. Verse 17, can you read it? It says, Hearken not unto them. Serve the king of Babylon and live. Wherefore you sh wherefore should this city be laid waste? Yes. Why should the entire structure of what you've known as ministry, he's talking to the preachers right there, why should it be brought down? If you continue to persist and follow this this pseudo word, this false word. And he's, he's like opening your eyes, man. The vessels are gone. You can't even do your duty. You don't know it. You're so hard. There's so much callous between you and the ability of the spirit to pierce your calloused heart with conviction so that you can begin to lead a national day and month and year. You're, you're seven years from everything coming down. That's basically what's going to happen here in history, right? As the history unfolds. You're seven years from it. But you're so hard you won't receive what God is saying so that it can begin with you. So that you can repent before your God who you claim to be serving. And then step out in front of the people and try and rescue them from what they're up under. So that you can teach them. But it ain't going to happen. We know that it didn't happen. There was a basket of good figs. A basket of bad figs. And, and in verse 17 he's telling the pastors. Understand what's happening. Understand what's happening. That, that the time has come. The switch has been flipped. And it's inevitable. And if you resist against it. You're going to endanger yourself, and ultimately everything that you've ever built is going to be burnt to the ground. Verse 18, brother. And I think, but if they, but if they be prophets, and if the word of the Lord be with them, let them now make intercession to the Lord of hosts, that the vessels which are left in the house of the Lord, and in the house of the king of Judah, and at Jerusalem, Go not to Babylon. <laughs> if they be prophets. He wants the, the, the preachers and the king and, and the people to, to reflect, right? But then he says, then tell them to intercede. He calls them out because he knows who prays and who doesn't pray. Let me tell you something. Real people of God, real people of God who seek God, they know who's been praying and who hasn't been praying. They know the consistent walk of a, of a servant of God. They know in five seconds by the way that they talk, the way that they walk, the way that they act. They know, as this great prophet knew of his prophets in his day. He says, you tell them to pray, implying that they didn't really pray, right? That they didn't really seek the Lord. Obviously, they didn't because they were preaching a false word, right? You can't be praying and not have a word from God. You can't be praying and not have thus saith the Lord. Not if you're a man or woman of God, you can't. And so what you give yourself over to then is, is all kinds of fluff and imaginations and dreams and visions. And I sense this and blew, the wind blew and, oh, I tripped over something. So I think God, I mean, give me a break. You have nothing because you don't pray.
You don't seek God. You have nothing. <laughs> Concerning what's left of the vessels, he says, have them pray that. They're not even using the vessels they have left the right way. <laughs> That's what he's saying. You know, they're, they're, they're calling for this big revival to be restored, right? That's what you just read, Brother Jeremy, in, in, in verse 16. All the vessels are coming back. He says, don't listen to that madness. Why don't they focus on what's left at least? What was left? What was left, Brother Jeremy, in verse 19? For thus saith the Lord of hosts concerning the pillars and concerning the sea and concerning the bases and concerning the residue of the vessels, that remain in this city. There's only two things. There's the pillars and there's the brazen sea. That's all that God left. And the rest were just bases, like, you know, platforms that they had stuck the brazen altar on and the altar of incense. All of that was gone. It says if God allowed only the <laughs> the brazen altar, I mean, the brazen labor, it's this big giant, like, swimming pool thing, you know, that was in Solomon's temple where they filled it with water. It was a type of a mirror. It was the type of the water is the type of the word. That's what God wanted left by symbolically saying, you need to wash yourself in the word and see the reflection of how far you've, you've left. All that's left are two pillars. All they were for was ornamentation. It was as if he was saying, the only thing that you you have is you look like, you know, a, a, a believer. You look like a priest. You look like a prophet. You look like the people of God, but everything around you has been taken from you because of your compromise. There's nothing left. So at least, he says, tell them to pray that what's left, instead of, you know, calling for all those vessels that have been taken away and preaching this false word that you're going to have this big revival that's all coming back, says tell them to focus on what's left while you still have time. Pray for repentance, in other words, is what he was saying. Maybe the hand of judgment will stay. And symbolically, this this sea that he's talking about, right, it, it's the word of God. It, it's, it's repentance. You need to be clean. But they weren't going to do it, <laughs> and they didn't. Tomorrow, <laughs> I know I went long. I got carried away. I'm sorry, brother. We look tomorrow. Everything comes to a powerful head, right, as the king's personal national prophet confronts jeremiah and totally steps up in his face not some little priest not not even some subset prophet but the prophet hananiah himself steps up into the forefront after a couple months and now they they gather in the court in the royal house and he comes totally against what jeremiah has been saying the result is that the prophet himself is going to die but what he would say, it sounds very, very similar to what we're hearing from America's church leaders today. Understand that Jeremiah comforted those who listened to him. It was it was for their good, like Brother Jeremy was talking about yesterday, trying to encourage the people. Because they listened to him, they were preserved. And they were separated. That's what's happening right now. That's why we started this whole study with Jeremiah, you know, seeing two baskets of figs after the captivity had already confirmed. Brothers and sisters, we're up under a captivity. It's already happened. 
And so what we're seeing quite conceivably is the spirit of God is beginning to delineate between the good and the bad, between the true and the false. That's what's happening. And what's coming is inevitable. And it's something that's been progressively headed our way. This nation, this church, this religious establishment, this people that claims that it's blessed from sea to shining sea, the amber waves of grace, God shed his grace, this nation. It doesn't yeah. understand. <laughs> yeah. But but it's begun if you can see it. The Lord is dealing with all of us. Let him have his way in your heart, in my heart. Turn away from the false preachers. Yes. We are we are in this condition because they fail. And now in this most crucial of times, these last days. They have been exposed, brothers and sisters, and their days are numbered. Yes. The false prophet Hananiah would die in that same year. Jeremiah uh, predicted it and preached his prophetic word from the Lord to the false prophet, to the king, to the priest, to the nation. And it wouldn't be but a few short years, about seven years, like we were saying, it would all be over. But the good figs, who discerned that what Jeremiah was saying was true, they were preserved. And I want to tell you something. The Lord's going to preserve and protect his people. I want to bring you that encouragement. This is the, I know this is scary stuff, man, but the Lord is going to preserve and protect his people now if they will understand and submit to his corrective hand, which has begun in this nation. God's people, come away with God. Hide yourself with him. I mean, I'm not talking about be, live a paranoid life, but live a prayer-filled life. By his grace, his strength, ask him to help you. He will. It's his gift. He gives you the gift of prayer, the gift of study, the gift of crying out to him, the sensitivity over time that begins to develop within your heart. As you're led by the Spirit, they that are led by the Spirit, they are the sons and the daughters of the Most High God. All of creation is groaning, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. That is what we're headed to, a glorious return of our King, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's coming. Take hope. These are those days, and it's quite conceivable they have begun, but we're not left without instruction. Draw close unto God, and he will draw close unto you. Yeah. And as Jesus said, when you see these things begin to come to pass, uh, lift up your head, right? Square back those shoulders. Dig in. Men's hearts may be failing them for fear of what they see coming upon the face of the earth, but the powers of heaven are about to be shaken. But he says, when you see these things begin to come to pass, <laughs> Square those shoulders back, lift up your heads, and know that your redemption is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Our hope, our joy, our great, great day that is just ahead of us is exactly what the Bible says. Jesus is coming. Question is, are you a good fig <laughs> or a bad fig? I know you're good out there. We love you. We're praying for you and your families. Be blessed, and we'll see you again tomorrow. Brother Jeremy? You know, um, the people in Jeremiah's time, and I want to leave this final thought with the people. The people in Jeremiah's time were blinded 
by the false prophecies of these false prophets. And because of that, they were not able to discern the day of visitation. And the Lord reminded me of, of the same exact thing that happened to him. Remember in Luke 19 when he entered to Jerusalem and he wept over it right before he pronounced the coming judgment to them. He would tell them, if thou had known, even thou at least in this thy day, the things which belonged unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thy eyes. Because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Can you discern? Can we discern based on everything that we have brought to the table with scripture, not with our own opinion, not with I had to know. This is what's in the scriptures. Are you able to discern the time of his visitation? I pray that you join us tomorrow. May God bless you. May God keep you and keep looking up.